Hello and welcome back to Disputes Digest with Chris Campbell. I'm your host, Chris Campbell. And look, listeners, I see that look of befuddlement, of confusion that's on your face. It's summertime and yet you are getting a Disputes Digest episode. Not just summertime, it's August. And we just told you last week that we were going on a summertime hiatus. Well, listeners, there was some pressing news that we had to make sure got out to you team tot during your august holidays so i hope to take a moment to listen and we have some news and we even have a special interview with a friend of the show greta walters at the end of the show so make sure you stay around and let's jump into it first in a landmark decision from the u.s supreme court has shed light on the procedure surrounding arbitration requests let's take a look on June 23, 2023, in the case of Coinbase versus Bieliski, the U.S. Supreme Court addressed a pivotal question. Should a district court halt its proceedings when a party appeals its decision not to compel arbitration? The court's answer? A resounding yes. And here's the backdrop. Coinbase, a renowned cryptocurrency platform, found itself in legal hot water when Bieliski filed a class action accusing Coinbase of failing to replace fraudulently taken funds. Coinbase, relying on its user agreement, sought to move the dispute to arbitration. However, the district court wasn't on board, and Coinbase appealed. But both the district court and the Ninth Circuit refused to pause the proceedings. The Supreme Court's verdict leaned on the precedent set in Griggs v. Provident Consumer Discount Company, essentially which held that when an appeal is in motion, the district court should step back from the aspects of the case under appeal. In this instance, the entire case was essentially up for an appeal. The court's rationale? Arbitration offers benefit like efficiency and reduced costs. If the district court plows ahead with its proceedings during an appeal on arbitration, these benefits vanish. The court emphasized that without a stay, parties might be cornered into settling just to step aside the very court proceedings they aim to avoid through the arbitration. SCOTUS also highlighted Congress's intent. When Congress desires an interlocutory appeal without automatic stay, it usually specifies But when it wants to appeal with an automatic stay, it typically remains silent on the stay. Bieliski's arguments, ranging from concerns about frivolous appeals to arbitration preferring procedural rules, were systematically dismantled by the Supreme Court, and the court firmly rooted its decision in pre-existing precedent, ensuring that the arbitration wasn't going to be unduly favored. In conclusion, SCOTUS's ruling in Coinbase v. Bieliski has set a clear national standard. When a motion to compel arbitration is denied and appealed, district court proceedings must hit the pause button. From there, let's head just a bit south and dive into a development in the world of Caribbean arbitration. Back on June 12th of 2023, the Institute for Transnational Arbitration Americas Initiative dropped their final report of the Caribbean Task Force. The task force was established in the not-so-distant past of 2021 and had the mission of bolstering the development and use of arbitration in the Caribbean. Their particular objectives were examining things like supporting regional arbitration initiatives, enlightening the masses about international arbitration, and promoting top-notch arbitration practices. They're also big fans of the model law, which is an integral part of international commercial practice. The major takeaways from the task force work was assisting Caribbean jurisdictions on implementation of the model law. 
primarily by continuing to work with local governments and practitioners to modernize their arbitration laws and normalizing the practice with commercial parties. Second, it was the need for capacity building among legal practitioners, perhaps by empowering local universities and institutions, but also by directing efforts from more global organizations like the Charter Institute of Arbitrators. The group also advised the implementation of training programs for the local judiciary to increase their comfort with the practice of arbitration, and tactically engaging the local arbitrators with those outside the region, in particular in both North and South America, as their neighbors and natural parties who might consider appointing Caribbean professionals. Then we do a bit more globetrotting as we turn our attention to Singapore, a hub for international arbitration with two recent cases which have brought up the issue of confidentiality in international arbitration under the spotlight. So let's dive in. Singapore, known for its robust legal framework, has always been a preferred choice for international arbitration. However, the sanctity of confidentiality, a cornerstone of arbitration proceedings, has been tested in two recent cases. These cases have raised eyebrows and sparked discussion in legal circles worldwide. The first case revolves around a party attempting to use confidential arbitration documents in subsequent court proceedings. The Singaporean courts, upholding the principle of confidentiality, ruled against this, emphasizing that arbitration documents should remain confidential unless specific exceptions applies, such as where the confidentiality has been substantially lost and if there was a remedy to these breaches of confidentiality. In the second case, CZT versus CZU, the Supreme Court addressed the dispute over the delivery of defective materials packages. The tribunal majority found the contractor, the material package supplier, liable for non-performance and ordered it to pay damages. However, a dissenting opinion accused the majority of procedural misconduct and bias. The contractor, unhappy with the outcome, sought to overturn the award and requested the tribunal's deliberation records from the Singapore courts. The court rejected the contractor's request, emphasizing the confidentiality of the arbitration deliberations. It noted that the confidentiality is an implied legal obligation, ensuring frank discussions among arbitrators and protecting them from external influences. The court also highlighted that some arbitral institutions explicitly state the confidentiality of deliberation in their rules. The court made a distinction between the process issues and substantive arguments, with confidentiality not applying to the former. The current stance may create a dilemma for parties needing deliberation records to prove their case. Lastly, questions arose about the court's jurisdiction to order arbitrators to disclose their deliberation. The consensus is that by accepting an arbitrator rule, one submits to the jurisdiction of the arbitral seat. The case's potential appeal means that the significant issue remains in the spotlight. These landmark decisions underline Singapore's commitment to ensuring the confidentiality of arbitration proceedings is maintained, but not at the expense of justice and fairness. It's a delicate balance, and Singapore seems to be treading that line with precision. In conclusion, while confidentiality remains a pillar of arbitration in Singapore, these cases show that it's not an absolute shield. The courts are willing to make exceptions, but always with an eye of ensuring justice. It's a developing narrative, and the global legal community will undoubtedly be watching closely. So, as mentioned at the top of the show, we have a very important and fun conversation with friend of the show, Greta Walters, on a fantastic event coming at the end of this month that you won't want to miss. Hello, and thank you for staying around with us here on a very special and exclusive episode or feature, I should say, after Disputes Digest. If you are still listening after the news, 
thank you, congratulations, you have found the bonus content. And you'll be very glad that you did because the bonus content this week is a very special conversation with a um, friend of the show, a partner at Shafitz Lindsay in New York, Miss Greta Walters. Greta, welcome to the show. Thanks, hi Chris, good to be here. Great, thank you so much for being here. And now look, um, a little birdie told me, or I guess you told me before we had this set up this conversation that uh, you have some exciting news to share with uh, the arbitration community and the listeners of TOT. What's going on? Yeah, little birdie, I, I like that new uh, <laughs> moniker. Well, now that uh, Twitter yeah, no, is I'm gone. Really... No. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Just <laughs> better than being called little X or something. <laughs> yes. um, yeah, no, thanks for, for inviting me on to, to talk about it, Chris. I'm really excited to share that um, we are hosting a huge international arbitration conference in Stockholm at the end of this month, uh, August 31st and September 1st, to celebrate 20 years, if you can believe it, of the International Commercial Arbitration Law Program, uh, also known as the ICAL program, at Stockholm University. Uh, so we've we've organized some really cool events. We're having a conference at the Modern Art Museum, uh, which will have a cool cocktail one night where uh, we'll have private access to the galleries. Uh, we have a gala dinner at the Vasa Museum. And if you've never been to Stockholm, it's one of the most unique, coolest museums, I will say, in Stockholm, uh, where we also have a, uh, a private tour around there. And beyond that, there's a bunch of activities, uh, networking, socializing, uh, academic programming um, organized around the main conference, too. Uh, so it's going to be a, a really great uh, event. Uh, it's a perfect time to be in Stockholm before it gets dark and cold. Uh, so it's... <laughs> If you need one last trip before the summer, this is it. <laughs> well, well, fantastic. No, that there's a lot to unpack there. Let's uh, let's take it a step back for just a moment. Uh, for those that may be familiar at home, so we know about the iCal program, but uh, tell us about its roots, its origins a little bit, so folks can get a little bit of a flavor of what the the program is all about. Sure. So the program, as the maybe the preview suggested, was founded about 20 years ago now, or rather 20 years ago now, um, in Stockholm at Stockholm University. And it's an LLM master's program at the, the law faculty at the university um, that's an intensive one-year program focusing on the study of international arbitration law. Um, you, you go through all facets of it, uh, of learning different aspects of the procedure uh, from start to finish of arbitration. Uh, there's a mark, mock arbitration where you get to pretend to be a real lawyer for a little bit, uh, and you have a, a master's thesis um, that you write on a specific topic. Uh, it was founded by uh, somebody that I know the show knows well as well, uh, Patricia Shaughnessy, uh, 20 years ago at, at Stockholm. And it was really, it continues to be unique because it was, um, you know, the first to really focus on a, an LLM program in international arbitration. Um, and it continued to be ranked over and over again as one of the top programs in this area uh, around the world. I mean, 20 years in now, we've had... Uh, hundreds and hundreds of students come through uh, the program and myself is a, an alumni of the program, so I'm, I'm speaking from a bit of my own love here. But I mean, the cool thing about the program is that you're studying with really students from all over the world. So, you know, myself, I'm an American lawyer and I, I come with my American biases and ways of, of studying law. But when I'm in a sitting in a classroom with friends from Estonia or Brazil or China and, you know, across, across Europe, uh, Africa, Asia, uh, Latin America, it, it really forces you to challenge how you're approaching legal questions and problems and um, thinking about these issues, which two things that come out of it, it's great. I mean, I think it really prepares you for the career in arbitration because that's a lot of what we encounter every day, but you also have this great group of friends 
around the world now. And I can say I've been to some of the most amazing weddings <laughs> in different countries because of these connections. So it's uh, maybe that's a longer answer than you anticipated, but <laughs> it's a it, it's a cool program because it really um, it stood the test of time, I would say, and it trains you for a, um, a career in this field. But it really it, it's great professional and personal friendships that have come out of it, too, which is why we're so excited to celebrate uh, with this big celebration at the end of the month. I like it. Uh, the Stockholm iCal program. Uh, come for the arbitration, stay for the weddings. <laughs> you heard it here first. <laughs> you heard it from this little birdie. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's great. Yes, and you're right. Um, you know, uh, Patricia is a, is a great friend of the show. Um, you know, if you heard the show recently, you would know Patricia was just on the show. And I, I know that that's exactly what you were getting at. <laughs> exactly. Yep. Um, Okay, well, look, uh, let me ask you, I guess, maybe just some logistics questions. Um, how can people uh, register or uh, get tickets uh, for the event? Sure. So the registration is easy. Uh, you can go to our website. It's iCalAlumni, I-C-A-L, and then the word alumni.org. Um, and there's a conference page on there for the 20th anniversary conference. You can see on their uh, registration details, the full conference agenda, the great, great speakers that we have coming um, uh, for the conference itself. Uh, we also have uh, a full schedule events. So you, these side events I, I mentioned, we have a, a brunch in the archipelago. We have a young ITA networking event. We have a walking tour. We have all kinds of stuff. Um, you can see details and registration um, about that. And worst case, you can always contact me and I'm happy to help direct you in the right direction. <laughs> now, now, Greta, is this event only for alums or can you be a non-alum and still come? No, you're, and that's what I should have actually started with. Um, it's not only for alum, and and actually, um, the it's it, what we're seeing right now in the registrations is a really good split and divide of, of non-alumni and alumni coming to this event. Um, and we had we've had anniversary events in the past for 10 and 15 years, and we've seen that uh, time and time again too. The the um, the programming is is really excellent. Thought leaders, uh, names that I'm sure you know well, Chris, um, that we have coming, and it's it's alumni and non-alumni alike talking on a lot of really cutting edge, interesting topics that um, I think are appealing to everyone, which is what we're seeing in the registration. So the alumni is the purpose, but it's certainly not uh, limited to that. And uh, you'll be in good company if you're not an alumni as well. <laughs> no, sure. Um, again, another practical question. Um, what, what's the, is there a registration fee? There is a registration fee. The, the conference itself there are fees to attend. Uh, these are all listed on our website. Uh, you can see them under the registration page. Um, they're listed in Swedish crowns, uh, but they convert to all-inclusive for the conference and gala dinner. It's about 440 uh, euros, so that includes the cocktail and all those cool pours um, I mentioned earlier. Um, we also have rates only for the conference or gala dinner if you're interested in that. Um, but I should also mention the, the side events I mentioned before, the Young Practitioners event, some of the the breakfast seminars, the walking tour, that kind of stuff. Um, those are almost entirely free. So it's a lot of uh, bang for your buck uh, if you're joining us in Stockholm at the end of the month. Fantastic, well said. All the side events I mentioned are, are free of charge uh, with exclusion of the brunch, which is a small fee. Uh, so there's a lot of bang for your buck to, to come join us for the events. Absolutely, absolutely. Well, good, I mean, this sounds like a great time. Um, anything else that, uh, that the listeners at home or folks thinking about this event should uh, have in mind? Good question. I should have, uh, where to start with this? Uh, <laughs> um, well, I think this is a, um, 
it's a it's a really great networking opportunity um and i think if you've never been to stockholm it's a great time to visit uh and the city will be great this time but it's a really great um networking opportunity to connect with um, not only the swedish um arbitration community which has had a lot of really interesting cases uh throughout the years some of the big um, energy cases investor state cases that have come through um stockholm has been a major seat um, there. So it's a great time to kind of learn more about what's going on in Stockholm and connect with some major practitioners there. Um, but as I said, we are seeing from the registrations a really great draw of a mix of um, alumni and non-alumni alike, alike from all over the world. Uh, so it's, it, it'll be a great time to connect and network with, um, you know, maybe some new friends and old uh, in the community. And the last thing I'll say is that the, the topics that we're talking about at the conference, the um, the conference title is Evolution or Revolution? Have we mastered international arbitration or do we need a new blueprint for the future? Um, and what we're really trying mm -hmm. to do with the panels is make sure that we take it, you know, a lot of times these, these kind of forward-looking topics, they get into a little too hypothetical. And what we really tried to do with the panels in terms of who we've selected as the speakers and the, the session shares is making sure that's not the case. So we wanna be talking about um, um you know what's actually happening so we have a panel on technology but not just should we fear ai but what's being actually done where can it be used how would you know arbitrators institutions deal with certain situations those sort of things we have in-house counsel coming you know not just to talk about maybe this will be interesting to you chris um not just about how to get hired those sort of things but what is it actually that they're in what more do they need from from their lawyers and when you're thinking about kind of global management of cases so not just you know, drafting your submissions and making oral arguments, but how can and how can external counsel be better at advisor and thinking through settlement options and those sort of things in a, a more global, broader sense? And then something else I'll mention that I'm really proud of with the programming, um, beyond its excellent um, substantive uh, aspects, is that we've really focused and made sure that the, the panels um, have a, a diversity in terms of geography, gender, those sort of things as well. And, um, experiences and backgrounds as well. So we've, uh, I'm happy and proud to say that more than 50% of the speakers are, are women, uh, which uh, I think is a good reflection of, our, of, of those efforts. We can always do, do better, but um, you know, with something we've really tried to hone in on and to make sure the conversations are, are, di are diverse as well. Well, fantastic. Well, look, it sounds like a great event. We'll include all of those links and uh, more information in the show notes. Um, but look, Greta, before we use the rest of our time here today, um, you know, since you left the program, what have you been up to? What, tell us a little bit about your practice and what you do. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Um, well, since I left the program, I actually, well, I didn't leave Stockholm so quickly, to be honest with you. I had such a good time in Stockholm that I decided to stay for another about year and a half. And I had a, um, a really great opportunity to uh, work as a legal counsel at the SEC, the Arbitration Institute there for um, a little over a year, as well as teach at the university, uh, somewhat in the, the ICAL program itself. So I, it was so great, I didn't want to leave Stockholm is the immediate answer. Um, and then I, but since then, I, I eventually did have to leave Stockholm and I came back to uh, New York, where I've been in private practice at law firms um, ever since then. Um, I'm currently a partner, as you said, at, at Chaffetz Lindsay here in New York. Um, and I've been here for about uh, almost nine years now, if I can't even believe it myself sometimes. Um, but it actually, my, my current job still has actually a connection to the, the ICAL program, because when I was in Stockholm, I actually met one of my partners, James Hosking, uh, who's speaking 
I still remember on emergency arbitration at a panel in, in Stockholm. Uh, and uh, Patricia actually introduced us because she's quite the facilitator of, of friendships and relationships. Uh, and, and I met him there. And then when I came back to New York, New York, we stayed in touch. Um, and now uh, he's he's become an amazing mentor and um, f colleague uh, now as well. So it, it's uh, a lot more has happened since then, obviously. But I will have to say, I think my my job today might have something to do with the, the ICAL program, too. <laughs> well, absolutely. No, that sounds like you. Um, it's like a, a poster child story for the program. That, that's really cool. Um, you know, one of the I have a couple more questions for you, but they'll be uh, sort of a little bit more rapid fire. What tips or advice would you have for folks that are looking to break into international arbitration, or maybe either as a student or maybe more junior practitioner? I would say two things is um, first, I mean, I've, I was this is advice that I was given and I hated hearing at the time. So I'm pausing to say it myself. Um, but I would say you do, first, don't feel like you need to become an arbitration specialist overnight. The, some of the best experience I got early in my career was doing U.S. litigation in, in the U.S. courts learning how discovery works in the U.S., learning how the drafting works in the U.S., just and really being anchored to one legal system um, and understanding that, I think, has helped me exponentially as I did become more of a specialist in international arbitration as a, as a, throughout my career. So having that kind of root, that base, has been pivotal to me, and I see it with my, my colleagues as well, that the ones that are kind of growing out of a, a legal system somewhere seem to be able to navigate better in arbitration as they go through. So the first tip I would say would really take the time to understand a legal system. You know, you don't need to be 10. If you have 10, that's great. But know how a system works. Um, get the skills to operate within that, that system. Um, and, you know, focus on that first. And, I, you know, the specialization can come later, but don't be so in a rush to get the specialization from day one. Um, and then the other thing I would say is, it's never too early to start thinking about your relationships and your connections with with um, your network, basically. And I, what I mean by that is not necessarily trying to network and make connections with all the big names and the superstars in arbitration, but you know, connecting with your peers, your your classmates, your your you know, if you're first year associate, your first year associates, whatever level you are, those are the people that are um, you are great to go to for advice and you know, kind of peer mentorship. But also, if you're when you're looking for your next job, when you're looking for your first arbitral appointments, when you're looking for clients, um, and vice versa, you know, those are the people you're growing up with, and those are the connections that that matter more in the long run than you know whether you you can connect with whatever big name arbitrator um, today, right? So I, I would say you know start valuing those relationships early, and um, realizing your your peers today are the ones you're going to be working with for many years to come. That's fair enough. I think that's good advice. Um... Again, rapid fire. Uh, what, what's on your bookshelf? What are you reading right now? You know, I have been reading this book that I'm not even going to. I'm, I'm pausing and try to say the name because um, I keep saying it wrong. Uh, Kal Kalavir. But it's one of these books that I have been uh, so slow going um, that I think I need to just abandon it and jump to a new book. <laughs> a friend recently. <laughs> uh, recommended the dutch house to me which i think i might and my mom actually recommended it too so i'm getting ready to just abandon the other book and, and jump ship but i've been struggling to get through this book for about six months <laughs> it's not a criticism of the book it's a criticism <laughs> of me probably <laughs> fair enough fair enough and music what kind of music are you into or some of your favorite genres or artists well i mean this is like i feel like the summer of taylor swift and beyonce so 
with their touring. <laughs> Can't get enough of it at the moment. <laughs> Fair enough. No, that, that, that those are that solid, uh, solid cultured taste. We'll say. Yeah, we'll say. I'm full in um, on pop culture. Can't I won't deny it. <laughs> Well, Greta, look, you know, um, you know, we're almost out of time here. Uh, appreciate you stopping by to talk a little bit about your career and your practice and what you do, and um, and uh, and the conference. Uh, anything else you want to say before we get out of here? No, just thanks so much, Chris. I really appreciate the opportunity. I hope to see uh, so many people in Stockholm at the end of the month. It'll be a, a lot of fun, and uh, we can't wait for the celebration. So, thanks for having me. And I guess I should have asked this earlier. Will there be any virtual attendance options? We're not planning on virtual attendance options uh, for it because we're we're very happy to be uh, back in person. So we're, we're planning this to be a in-person uh, celebration only. Fair enough. Well, look, uh, you heard it here first, folks. Well, maybe not first, but at least well ahead in advance, um, you will have an opportunity to sign up for the event. Like we said, we'll make sure that you have all the information, all the notes that you need here in the show notes. Uh, a big thanks to uh, the folks over at the iCal program for uh, appearing on the show, for Greta for making sh uh, making time, for Patricia for appearing on the show just a couple of weeks ago. And thank you so much. Enjoy. Have a great summer. Take care. Thanks, Chris. All right. And so much for Disputes Digest for this week and truly the month. Um, there won't be any more episodes as such, but we're going to try and get some more content to you on our feed throughout the rest of the month. So you won't be missing too much TOT action as we go forward. I hope you're having a great summer. Hope you're getting some rest and we'll see you again in a few weeks. Bye. None of the views shared today or in any episode of Disputes Digest is presented as legal advice nor advice of any kind. No compensation was provided to any organization or party for their inclusion on the show, nor do any of the statements made represent any particular organization, legal position, or viewpoint. All interviewees or organizations included appear on an arm's length basis, and their appearance should not be construed as any bias or preferred affiliation with the host or host's employer. All rights reserved.